listening to Pat O'Keefe. The Mets are faced with the real possibility that Pete Alonso could be entering his final season in a Mets uniform at the age of 29. I mean, for me, I think that number one goal is just being healthy. I, I love it here. I definitely have envisioned myself of, of being a lifelong Met. If you're a Mets fan and you hear that, how can you not be concerned that he's not all in? It seems to me that the Mets are operating as if they are a smaller market franchise and it all goes back to last year. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, we move from a lot of baseball so far this morning to some pucks of the outdoor variety. The stadium series has descended upon northern New Jersey. It got underway last night in front of 70,000 fans at MetLife Stadium, and the Devils took it to the Flyers 6-3 to in a very important game for both of those teams. And now this afternoon, the Rangers and the Islanders will cross the river and face off in front of a boisterous crowd at Chile MetLife Stadium and you can hear all the action right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Our pregame coverage begins at 2.30 with Don LaGreca and then Kenny Albert and Dave Maloney on the call starting at 3. And Kenny kind enough to uh, share a few minutes of his morning with us now. Kenny thanks for the time. How are you doing today? I'm great Pat. How are you? I'm doing well, and I thought of you immediately. Uh, I'm actually going to the game today with a couple of friends and enjoying Rangers hockey as a fan, which I don't normally get a chance to do, so I'm looking forward to that. And I immediately thought of you because, top of my head, I can't think of anyone outside of Doc Emmerich who would have called many more of these outdoor games than you. So give us a sense, and I think you told me last night this will be your 13th outdoor game that you're calling today, radio and TV. Give us a sense of what these games are like. Well, they're a lot of fun. They're they're uh, so great to be a part of. The league does a tremendous job. Um, you know, as many of your listeners uh, witnessed last night, either in person or on TV, with over seventy thousand at MetLife Stadium for the Devils and the Flyers. Um, I was at the Winter Classic in Seattle earlier this season uh, for the Kraken and the Golden Knights, and um, it's just. It's the it's really the 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 linchpin of the regular season for the NHL. You know, huge events. Um, they started the outdoor games in Buffalo back in 2008. That was the Penguins and Sabers uh, in the snow when Sidney Crosby scored the winner in a shootout, and it, it looked tremendous on television, uh, like a snow globe. And uh, the fans have really taken to it, uh, no matter what city it 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 goes to. You know, each and every year. This year there were four outdoor games. Uh, too this weekend obviously at the Meadowlands and um, they're all pretty much sold out so to think that there will be 140,000 fans at two games uh, at MetLife Stadium this weekend two regular season games if I told you that about 15 or 20 years ago uh, you wouldn't have believed it and I was there as a fan last night I'll be working the game today with Dave like you said on the radio side Um, for for a play-by-play broadcaster it's the most challenging game of the year because the broadcast booth is is uh, you know high and far back, so uh, for for a play by play person, it's not ideal, but still so much fun to be a part of. And look forward to the game this afternoon. Now, are you and Dave all the way up in the main press box for this one? Uh, we are. So the TV folks with ABC, Sean McDonough and Ray Ferraro, they're in the uh, what's normally the football 
uh, television booth at the 50-yard line or center ice on the third floor of MetLife Stadium, and then all the radio crews, the local team crews, and the national radio are up in the football press box on the sixth floor. And then on top of that, they have you know these special jerseys a lot of times for these events, too. And a lot of times, they don't take the play-by-play broadcasters into consideration as far as making the numbers as visible as possible, right? These teams look to be really good in that respect, uh, both the Rangers and Islanders jerseys, um, the Flyers and Devils last night as well. Uh, there are some teams, you're right, Pat, um, last year at Fenway Park, for the Winter Classic, one of the teams had terrific numbers from a play-by-play standpoint, and the other not so much. So, uh, no, that's not always the first consideration, unfortunately. But uh, the the Ranger and Islander jerseys both look spectacular, and I think we should be okay number-wise, even though we're at such a distance. The two New York rivals battling at MetLife Stadium today at 3. Our coverage begins at 2.30 here on ESPN New York. Um, you know, you, you could see what the appeal is from the fans' perspective. As you said, Kenny, these events continue to grow in numbers. 140,000 fans between two games at MetLife Stadium this weekend. How do you find in your interactions and conversations with the players, how do you find that they enjoy these events? I think the players love it. It takes them back to their roots. Uh, wherever they grew up, skating outdoors on ponds, outdoor rinks at a young age. And I was out there at the practices on Friday and, and was in the Ranger locker room after listening to some of the players. And, and it really does take them back to their childhood. Um, you know, it's a lot different. Uh, Jonathan Quick has played in three of these games, and he was talking about the depth perception for a goaltender because uh, unlike normal indoor arenas, the fans are so far back away from the ice, so it is different. Um, also talking to one of my partners, Brian Boucher, the other day um, about the fact that in indoor arenas, when the goalie looks up, if the puck's up in the air and you're trying to find it and catch it, indoor, sometimes it's hard because the roofs are dark. You know, outdoors, you have that different element uh, during day games where it's the sun, uh, the sky. So the, the elements definitely play a factor, the wind. Uh, you know, I don't think the cold's an issue because the players are um, – they're probably not really thinking about that. You know, they're skating, they're sweating. So I don't think the, the temperature is a major factor unless it's really, really cold. But uh, the wind could be. Uh, the sun could be. Sometimes they've even switched sides at the 10-minute mark uh, of the third period in, in these outdoor games if they feel one team has an advantage or a disadvantage due to the elements such as the wind. Interesting. And we actually saw that earlier this season with the Rangers in Seattle, right, when half the arena right, lights were Right, that off. was uh, – it's funny, I was actually at that game not working. I was out in Seattle for football that weekend, and uh, Don and Dave were calling the game from the New York studio, uh, but there was a lighting issue uh, in the arena that night, so they did switch ends at the 10-minute mark each period. Kenny Albert on the call today with Dave Maloney for the stadium series, the Rangers and the Islanders from MetLife Stadium. So this will be your 13th outdoor hockey game, TV and radio, Kenny? It will be. Uh, five now with the Rangers on the radio side with Dave. We had the game in Philadelphia, Citizens Bank Park in 2012, the two games at Yankee Stadium in 2014, and then City Field in 2018. And then um, on the TV side, um, I've had games in, in Colorado Springs at the Air Force Academy, Fenway, uh, Target Field in Minnesota, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, last year at Fenway, and then this year, like I mentioned, in Seattle and a couple of games on the network radio side as well in St. Louis and Philadelphia. 
Now, I'm sure each venue obviously is unique in its own way, but is there one really memorable location that you have been a part of this event from that really sticks out to you? Well, they're all terrific, but I think, you know, Fenway, for example, uh, with, with the Green Monster as the background, um, that, that one certainly stands out. Uh, Yankee Stadium, they had a media skate, so I actually had a chance to skate with other members of the media at, at Yankee Stadium, so that was pretty cool. Uh, the Air Force Academy, I had never been there before. That was certainly a, a unique venue. So they, I think they all have something really special, uh, each and every one. Um, you know, MetLife last night, again, being there as a fan uh, at an outdoor game for the first time, I could just sense how much the crowd was into it. Uh, you had probably 75 to 80% Devils fans and 20 to 25% Flyer fans. And, you know, I don't always necessarily get to experience that when I'm working because we have the, the headsets on and you're so focused on, on, on your job. But last night was really able to get a feel for how much the fans enjoyed it. They were out tailgating hours before the game. And um, it, it just and, – and some of the people that I spoke with uh, where I was during the game, just, just the uniqueness of it and, um, you know, the, like I said, the major factor to me, 140,000 uh, attending two regular season NHL games, I don't think that's anything any of us could have ever imagined. And, and, the and range- I think, you know what, this weekend – you know, they did the double dip in Lake Tahoe a few years ago, but there were no fans there because it was during the pandemic. But um, to have to have the four teams, four different teams, four different fan bases this weekend, two games, that, that seems to make it even extra special than uh, some of the single-game events. It just feels like it has more of a festival, um, you know, all-star game type Olympic atmosphere to it because you have four different teams and fan bases, not just two. And they did that at Yankee Stadium in 2014, but it was the Rangers doubling up, so it was three fan bases. It's nice when you have four fan bases that are within driving distance of the venue. And for whatever reason, and this is spans back to 2012 when the Rangers played the Flyers in Philly, the Rangers have done very well in these games because they haven't lost one of them yet. They have not. They're 4-0. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist holds the all-time NHL outdoor record uh, with four wins. Uh, they would tie Boston. Boston's played more outdoor games, uh, but they would tie Boston if they win today with, with a fifth win. Uh, the Rangers uh, set the outdoor record with seven goals in the game against the Devils at Yankee Stadium back in 2014. So uh, they have had a lot of success, 4-0 in the outdoor games. I remember the first one with fondness because, you know, it was such a novelty at the time. The Rangers hadn't been a part of it when they went down to Philadelphia and played in Citizens Bank Park. And, Kenny, the, the one Rangers play-by-play game I've ever done, filling in for you and for Don last season, my partner that night, and you never know who's going to be the hero, but my partner for my NHL debut was the hero of that Rangers-Flyers game, Mike Rupp. He was. He, he had a big game. Mike Rupp's a guy that, that has scored some big goals in his life. He, he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal for the Devils uh, back in 2003. And then uh, he had two goals in, in that outdoor game, uh, January 2nd, 2012. Uh, the Flyers took a 2 nothing lead. Braden Shen actually scored his first NHL goal. Uh, Claude Giroux made it 2 nothing, And then Mike Rupp scored the next two goals for the Rangers. And Brad Richards, uh, a couple of minutes later, uh, had the game winner. But uh, that was a memorable game uh, in Philadelphia. I was there along with Dave. And, you know, one thing I remember from that weekend, I was not there uh, for the alumni game the day before. 
but I was watching it on television, and they had 60,000 people at Citizens Bank Park for the Rangers-Flyers alumni game, and I'll never forget the look on Dave Maloney's face. They had a close-up of him uh, when the when the lineups were introduced, and uh, he just looked so excited like a little kid, you know, <laughs> looking around at, at 60,000 fans and taking the ice for that game uh, against the Flyers, the alumni game the day before the regular game. Yeah, I had him on my show yesterday, and he was reminiscing about taking the ice for that one. Uh, I also asked him yesterday, so I'll ask you as well, for a game like this, and it's outdoors, and it's supposed to be mid to high 30s with some wind out there. Do you guys go windows open or windows closed in the booth? We did go windows closed at City Field, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that were the case today. Normally, you know, you like the elements and uh, during football, we always have the window open. Uh, there are usually cameras in the booth shooting, so that's one of the reasons why we don't have that uh, situation today with the radio broadcast. So, um, Chris Matskowski, our engineer, does such a terrific job with, with the mics, the sound, the audio from around the ring, so we'll still be able to hear in our headsets uh, the puck, you know, hitting the post, the players, uh, you know, the, the sounds when they check each other into the board. So, uh, that won't be an issue even if we have the windows closed uh, today like we did at City Field back in 18. You know, one thing I was thinking about with you, and I know you've done a lot of reflecting lately with your new book that is out, A Mic for All Seasons, detailing your career in broadcasting, which is great. I read it. It's available on Amazon and in most bookstores, and I would highly recommend um, you know, in the book, you really go into a lot of detail about your various broadcasting partners throughout your career. And I know you are no stranger to broadcasting games in MetLife Stadium, mostly football with the NFL on Fox. Um, you know, the three partners who I associate you the most with are uh, obviously Dave Maloney, uh, Jonathan Vilma, and Daryl Moose Johnston. And now with Dave today, that'll be three different guys you've called games with inside MetLife Stadium, and also three guys who were not known to shy away from contact. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, Dave was certainly not afraid to shy away from contact during his NHL career. Um, worked many, many years with Moose Johnston and Tony Saragusa. In fact, we called the first regular season game at MetLife Stadium. It was the Giants in Carolina. Uh, back when MetLife first opened, I think it was 2010. Um, Jonathan Vilma, the last four years, we had a bunch of games at MetLife this year, uh, a couple of Giants games, a Jets game, and also worked with Rondé Barber during that period at the Hall of Famer, who uh, certainly did not shy away from contact as well. So that, that's an excellent point. I've been well protected uh, whenever I've worked <laughs> games at MetLife, uh, thanks to whoever's standing next to me. Your book details your three decades announcing the NHL and the NBA, of course, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the Olympics as well. Let me ask you about hockey because, you know, here in New York with the Rangers, you have been so closely associated with that over the years. Um, give us one of your most unique or fondest memories broadcasting hockey throughout your career. Well, there, there are probably, there's probably too many to, uh, uh, you know, the amount of time that we have now, but... Um, you know, as I talk about in the book, uh, two years working minor league hockey were, were an experience that I would never trade in for anything. Just getting the reps and uh, six, eight, ten-hour bus rides with the Baltimore Skipjacks back in the 90s. So that, that was really the start. And then um, called the NHL radio, the national broadcast, when the Rangers and Canucks played in the final in 94. I wasn't calling Rangers games yet for MSG. I was working in Washington at the time, but... Certainly the 94 uh, Stanley Cup Game 7 has to be uh, one of the biggest memories that stand out. 
And then uh, Olympic hockey uh, through the years since 2002, the women's gold medal game in 2018 when the U.S. beat Canada in a shootout. Um, having the opportunity to call the Stanley Cup final on the TV side two of the last three years uh, with NBC and, and TNT last year when Vegas beat Florida. And then with, uh, you know, 28 years with MSG, calling the Rangers on the radio and uh, some TV games here and there on the uh, on MSG. But uh, the great partners, uh, Sal Messina, Brian Mullen, and now Dave Maloney for the last 19 years couldn't ask for better partners. And uh, Dave and I had some pretty good runs during the playoffs. You know, the Rangers during the Henrik Lundqvist era, getting to the conference final in 2012 and the Stanley Cup final in 14, the conference final again in 15, and then two years ago. And when I think back, just so many of the, the game sevens, uh, Henrik Lundqvist working his magic and, and stealing some of those games and some of those series. I think back to game seven in Pittsburgh in 2014. They had been down 3-1 in the series and came back and uh, that was probably the best game I ever saw Henrik play, the third period in Pittsburgh in Game 7 in 2014. And then he shut out Montreal in Game 6 at the Garden, one nothing uh, to, to send the Rangers into the Stanley Cup Finals. So um, hard to narrow it down, but, but those are certainly uh, among the ones that stand out for sure. Well, the way things are looking now with the Rangers on top of the Metropolitan Division, maybe another fun and busy, exciting spring for you and Dave on the Rangers broadcast as well. So we'll see. But, Kenny, I appreciate some time this morning. And uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, you've done a lot of these outdoor hockey games. This has to be one of the best commutes for you. It is a great commute. And, and getting back to what you said a second ago, you know, for the Rangers, those years that end in four, right, 30 years ago, 94, 10 years ago, 2014, and here we are in 2024, so we'll see what happens in the spring. But uh, pretty short commute today, about 25 minutes over to MetLife. So looking forward to it, and uh, should be a terrific afternoon. Enjoy it, Kenny, and I look forward to seeing you at the Garden for our next Knicks or Rangers game together. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Pat. I will see you there. Appreciate it. Sounds great. Kenny Albert on the call today for the stadium series between the Rangers and the Islanders from MetLife Stadium. He's got a lot of great stories from his broadcasting career. Uh, details a lot of them in his book, A Mike for All Seasons, about his career in broadcasting, three decades announcing the NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and the Olympics, available on Amazon and most bookstores. Take a break. We'll get back to more of your phone calls, some thoughts on the Knicks, some thoughts on the Giants and their important offseason, and whatever's on your mind on this Sunday morning. Give us a ring, 1-800-919-3776. It's Pat O'Keefe with you until noon on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Pat O'Keefe back with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. Great conversation with Kenny Albert, who is uh, shortly on his way out to MetLife Stadium, along with tens of thousands of fans this afternoon for the Rangers and the Islanders in what should be not only an important game, but a great spectacle. And the other part of this is... And, and this goes back to the Islanders fans' roots when they spent all of those years at Nassau Coliseum. And such a big part of the Islanders fan hockey experience was the tailgating in the parking lot at Nassau Coliseum, which is you know, not terribly common in 
NHL or NBA arenas throughout the leagues because most of them are in the middle of, you know, urban areas where there is not plentiful parking and you use public transportation to get to the games. And unfortunately, as the Islanders fans well know, that has kind of been taken away from them uh, with their move to UBS Arena, a beautiful building in its own right. But they've kind of lost a little bit of that tailgating experience. The Rangers fans have never had it, but that's a, a big part of today at MetLife Stadium. Obviously, any football stadium or most synonymous with tailgating. It's such a big part of the culture and the fan experience. And uh, there will be a lot of that going on today, as there was last night before the Rangers and the Islanders game this afternoon. And again, you can hear it starting at 2.30 here on ESPN New York. Um, it's an interesting time in the sports calendar locally. Like I said at the beginning of the show, usually this is the the slowest time of the sports year this or you know the late summer when it's just major league baseball but at that point in the year a lot of people are away a lot of people have kind of like stepped back from you know their day-to-day routines and gearing up for you know the start of things like school and uh the end of summer that come in september um other than like late summer, this period right now is generally the deadest for uh, <laughs> to use an incorrect word in the sports calendar. Um, it's it's a little more ramped up this year because of what the Knicks are doing. Last night and tonight, NBA All Star Weekend in Indianapolis. You know, I've had this conversation with several of my colleagues on the Knicks radio broadcast, including Alan Hahn, Monica McNutt as well. When you're a franchise, and this is a big deal, and a lot of people are actually forgetting or overlooking the fact that the Knicks do have two All-Stars this year because Jalen Brunson is the leader of the team, and that is unquestioned at this point. Julius Randle is injured and has missed the last couple of weeks and is going to miss some more time before hopefully returning for the bulk of the stretch run of the regular season. And Brunson is the one who, for the first time in his NBA career this season, has been named an All-Star. But Randall's an all-star too, and that is a significant accomplishment because that's kind of a different level of the evolution of a top team in the NBA. Because if you think about it, there's 30 teams in the NBA, there's 15 in each conference, and there's only 12 spots in each conference for all-stars. And if you're one of those franchises that is able to put multiple all-stars in the all-star game then you are on a very high level in the league. And that's not a coincidence. You know, once in a while you get a coincidence, for example, the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers have two All-Stars. But it's Anthony Davis, who this year has been one of the best big men in the NBA, especially defensively. And it's LeBron James, who's LeBron James. Now, the Lakers are in ninth place in the Western Conference. Generally, a ninth place team in a conference does not get two All-Stars. But who are you going to leave off? You're going to leave off Davis, who's having as good a season as anyone inside, or you're not going to leave off LeBron James. So there's exceptions to it, but in the case of, here's the teams with multiple All-Stars this year. The Celtics, they're the best team in the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks, the Knicks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are the best team in the Western Conference, the LA Clippers, who are the third best team in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, who have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and the Knicks. And the Knicks are in that category. And that's just another example of the level to which the Knicks have ascended in the NBA. Now, they're at a crucial point right now because they are on this four-game losing streak and their rotation has been completely depleted because of the myriad injuries. I mean, they started off January 
like a house on fire. That was the first game that OG Ananobi played in Precious Achua after coming over from the Raptors in the R.J. Barrett Emmanuel quickly trade, and they immediately took off, and they had that nine-game winning streak that came to an end a couple of weeks ago on Saturday night against the Lakers at Madison Square Garden. And even when Randall went out, and when Ananobi went out, and Isaiah Hartenstein started missing some games, and they were already without Mitchell Robinson, and then Jericho Sims, their third-string center, started missing some games. They did a good job continuing to figure out ways to win, but then unfortunately in that last week leading up to the break, it became too much, and the four-game losing streak is evidence of that. Um, it was basically by that last game before the break in Orlando, it was basically Jalen Brunson. And if you watch that or listen to that Magic game, Brunson came out and scored 20 points in the first quarter. And the Knicks at one point were actually winning by 12 points. But you're not going to play Brunson or anyone 48 minutes, so Tom Thibodeau gave him a rest at the beginning of the second quarter. And when Brunson was in, the Knicks were a plus 9. When Brunson was on the bench for 4.5 minutes, they were a minus 14. And that's essentially what the Knicks are right now. And with the injuries that they have sustained, they're essentially a one-man team right now, especially when you take Dante DiVincenzo and Boyan Bogdanovich out of the mix. Um, the hope is when the Knicks return to action on Thursday night in Philadelphia, and they come out of the gates, boy, they go to Philadelphia on Thursday and then a nationally televised game at the Garden on Saturday night against the Boston Celtics. That'll be their... Uh, fourth of five meetings against the Celtics this season. Remember back to the in-season tournament, there were 80 games originally scheduled, and based on how teams did in the in-season tournament, each team was added an additional two games. The two games that were added to the Knicks schedule were road games at Boston and at Milwaukee, two teams they've had trouble with this season. So they've already played the Celtics three times. They're 0-3 against them, and they play them again in a couple of weeks. Uh, excuse me, not in a couple of weeks. They play them again this coming Saturday at Madison Square Garden, and then they play them for a fifth time coming up in April. When the Knicks do get healthy, and the hope is starting Thursday, you get DiVincenzo back, you get Isaiah Hartenstein back, and you get Boyan Bogdanovich back. So that's a huge help right off the bat. And then the next level of guys you need to return are Julius Randle and OG Ananobi. And you hope that their returns are within a two- to three-week period. And then the last piece of all of that is Mitchell Robinson. But the Knicks, if they are able to get completely healthy, are going to have a deep 9 10 11-man rotation, which is going to be interesting because it's going to lead to some rotation decisions for Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau plays a nine-man rotation. He does not like to veer from that. If you've watched Tom Thibodeau coach in New York now in his fourth season, when he finds something that works, he sticks with it. And I'll go back to last year when the Knicks started 10-13 and and they got blown out in a Saturday afternoon game in early December by the Dallas Mavericks. And the Knicks, for the first 23 games of last season, Tom Thibodeau was kind of tinkering with his rotation, not exactly sure what he had. Well, after that blowout loss to Dallas, where it looked like that Tom Thibodeau might not be long for that head coaching job with the Knicks, if you can imagine that, as successful as he has been since then, went home that night and decided to change everything up. He took Derrick Rose out of the rotation. 
He took Evan Fournier out of the rotation. He took Cam Reddish out of the rotation. He started playing Deuce McBride more. He put Quentin Grimes into the starting lineup, and he trimmed down to a nine-man rotation. And from that point on, the Knicks won their next eight games. And from that point on, they went on to win 47 games and advanced to the second round of the playoffs. He went back to what has always historically worked for him, a nine-man rotation. Well, there's it's not a problem. It's a good problem to have in sports. It's going to be a problem for those on the Knicks team who are kind of left out of the rotation when they are whole. You know, you need Randall and you need Ananobi and you need Isaiah Hartenstein. And I say Hartenstein over Mitchell Robinson because Hartenstein, his injury is less severe. There's not certainty that Mitchell Robinson can return. There's hope and there's optimism, but the Knicks have proven that if they have Brunson and DiVincenzo and Ananobi and Randall, they know how to win with Isaiah Hartenstein as their starting center. They have proven that. So as long as they have Hartenstein with those other four starters, they are fine. Mitchell Robinson is a bonus. And I don't mean to devalue what Robinson brings to the team. He was their most important defensive player until he got hurt on December 8th in Boston. But he's a bonus in the fact that they know that they can win without him because they have proven that they can do that. But if he can somehow come back, he could be a terrific X factor, either if you reinsert him into the starting lineup or if you keep Hartenstein in the starting lineup and bring Mitchell Robinson off the bench. You have in the backcourt, obviously, Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo with your front line. And when everybody else gets healthy... Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks will finally have the opportunity to fill the roles they were brought in here to fill because they've gotten here at a time where the Knicks are completely depleted without Ananobi and without Randall and without DiVincenzo for the last game. So Bogdanovich and Alec Burks have had to fill larger roles than they were originally intended to fill. But after the All-Star break, as people start getting back and you get this rotation healthy, those guys can fill the roles they were brought in to fill. Then, of course, you have Josh Hart, who we know what his role is. His role is essentially what you need from Josh Hart on any given night. And there's your nine-man rotation right there. And I haven't even gotten to names like Precious Achua, who's been terrific. I haven't gotten to Deuce McBride, who has shot his three-pointers at above a 40% clip. They could go 11 deep, but they're not going to play 11 guys in the playoffs. They're not going to play 11 guys down the stretch. So it's going to lead to very interesting questions. Jalen Brunson is in Indianapolis this weekend as part of the All-Star festivities. Uh, We'll hear a couple of comments from him on the stretch run for the Knicks with 27 games remaining in the regular season and what they need to do to put themselves in as good position as possible to make a run come the postseason. And also your calls at 1-800-919-3776 here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. So here's the, the good and the bad of a star competing in the Slam dunk contest. I said this yesterday. I thought the fact that Jalen Brown participated in the slam dunk contest last night was terrific because um, for years, fans have clamored for a star to participate. You know, when it started in the mid-1980s and you had Michael Jordan, you had Dominique Wilkins, and you had those great duels between the two of them. 
that is really what launched the slam dunk contest as a terrific event. And then it kind of petered out by the end of the 1990s. Um, Vince Carter brought it back with his display uh, when he was with the Toronto Raptors and gave it second life. Kobe Bryant actually won the slam dunk contest when he was a rookie before he was an established star in the NBA. But, you know, unfortunately, and, and LeBron James is the biggest culprit for this because in the past, and I had Ty Butler on my show yesterday, and uh, there's no bigger LeBron James fan slash apologist than Ty Butler out there. But Ty did say that LeBron in like 2008, 2009, around that time, hinted that in the future he would compete in the slam dunk contest. And for 15 years, fans have waited. I mean, we're not waiting anymore because the ship has sailed on that, clearly. But, you know, it was quite the tease to send out there and not deliver upon because he's the one guy who everyone always wanted to see compete in the slam dunk contest just because his dunks are with such ferocity. And to see a star like that on that stage kind of just putting himself out there, I think would have endeared him to so many people. But for some reason, stars have always shied away from competing in the slam dunk contest. And you look at the recent winners. I mean, Mac McClung, who's a fantastic dunker. I mean, he's what, six foot two. He reverse dunked over Shaq last night. But he's not only is he not a star, he's not even an NBA player. I mean, he's a G League player. There's nothing wrong with being a G League player, but that's a, a far cry from being a star. So I give credit to Jalen Brown, who is a bona fide star in the NBA. He's actually the highest paid player in the NBA um, for participating in the dunk contest last night. And what you get if you're a star is you get a little bit of leeway because if you watch the preliminary round last night, obviously Mac McClung um, was the best dunker all night long. But let's be honest, Jacob Toppin's preliminary dunks were better than Jalen Brown's. But if you're broadcasting this to a national TV audience, who does the national TV audience want to see in the finals against Mac McClung? Do they want to see this G League player go up against Jacob Toppin, who, except for five games this season with the New York Knicks, is also a G League player? Or do they want to see Mac McClung go up against a multiple-time NBA All-Star in Jalen Brown. So that's what we got. Uh, and McClung won a repeat winner in the slam dunk contest, also a repeat winner in the three-point shootout as Damian Lillard beat Carl Anthony Towns and Trey Young. Jalen Brunson had 24 points in the first round, and he missed qualifying for the finals by two points. Now, the other event of the night, and you talk about getting credit for putting yourself out there. How about Steph versus Sabrina and the performances by both of them? Because I thought that was awesome. I thought it was awesome that they were doing it. I thought it was awesome that Curry, who has absolutely nothing to prove and nothing to gain, agreed to participate in this contest against Sabrina Ionescu. I thought that was fantastic. And also not terribly surprising, given how Curry has carried himself throughout the course of his career. And they both went out and they nailed it. You know, Sabrina scores 26 points. There was only one round. If you count the actual three-point shootout last night with Damian Lillard and Towns and Trey Young and Jalen Brunson and Tyrese Halliburton, and if you count that plus the Steph versus Sabrina showdown... There was only one round that was better 
Then Sabrina Ionescu's 26 points. And it was Stephen Curry who had 29 and beat her in a duel. That's why I kind of laugh. I mean, and and this is going to bleed into my conversation that I have in the next segment about the Knicks. When you size up the Knicks with the other top teams in the Eastern Conference, one of which is the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm just laughing. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm laughing at Damian Lillard last night going into his whole Dame time spiel. He's the back-to-back champion of the three-point contest. What that felt like to me was, all right, Damian Lillard, you win the JV competition, okay? You're a terrific shooter. Congratulations. You can tap your finger on your wrist, pretending there's a watch there and doing your whole Dame time shtick. But now we're actually going to have you sit over there and we're going to watch the actual greatest shooter of all time do his thing. And not only that, but we're going to bring in the best shooter from the WNBA, Sabrina Unescu, who is such an inspiration to female ball players everywhere for what she did last night. And she's going to go toe-to-toe with Steph, and she's actually going to score the same amount that you did. But you sit there and keep tapping your wrist. I mean, <laughs> I was laughing at him. And that's part of a larger conversation involving Damian Lillard and the Milwaukee Bucks because now the three-point shootout is done, all right? And now Damian Lillard, because of his wrist tapping and his popularity throughout his career and hitting big shots in the first round of the NBA playoffs, by the way, that all earned him a starting spot in tonight's All-Star game that he did not deserve. So you can have your three-point contest championship you could have Dame your starting spot in the all-star game tonight a spot that clearly should belong to number 11 of the New York Knicks but once the season resumes on Thursday and it's time to get back to work that's when Jalen Brunson is going to get back to doing what he does and I can't wait for that matchup. In fact, if you size up where the Knicks are right now heading towards the playoffs, I crave a matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I may be forced to eat those words in May if they do meet in the second round and Giannis goes hog wild and eliminates the Knicks in five or six games. But as far as right now goes, knowing what we know about the Knicks, as long as they can be healthy and knowing what we know about the Milwaukee Bucks, even with Doc Rivers as their head coach, which by the way, hasn't worked so far. They're three and seven in 10 games. That's where the real legacies are going to be made. They're not going to be made by winning a three-point shootout that the greatest shooter of all time did not compete in because he was busy holding off the best female shooter in the WNBA, okay? They're not made by doing that and by tapping your wrist. They're actually made by advancing throughout the playoffs and having big moments in the playoffs beyond the first round, something which Damian Lillard cannot relate to yet at this point in his career. Some more Nick's thoughts uh, and whatever else is on your mind at 1-800-919-3776 as we continue until noon. And then Larry Hardesty comes in here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, Nick's do need help for sure. And can't just be Jalen Brunson. 
for the second half of the season. We saw that act about a decade ago when the Knicks had a perennial all-star uh, scoring at a high volume in Carmelo Anthony and did not lead to a ton of postseason success. The Knicks on their roster, when healthy, have the pieces to help Jalen Brunson. They just need them all to get back. Um, here's Jalen Brunson at All-Star Weekend on ESPN Radio yesterday talking about this crucial point of the season for the Knickerbockers. We just went through some dog days, obviously with our health being um, the focal point. And I think for us, we can't just look and say, hey, we're just we're trying to get ready for playoffs and have that mindset. Like, no, we got to get better every single day we're on the practice court, every single day we're on the whatever court we're on, home or away. It just has to be our mindset. We just can't relax. It's just something that is easy to do when you're preparing to try and make a long run. But that's the quickest way to have the shortest run that you can have. They're in fourth place right now in the East. I think it's in their best interest to get into the top three, or really two and three, because they're not climbing all the way to number one. Uh, if you're in that 2-3 spot, you can avoid the Boston Celtics until the Eastern Conference Finals. That would be the earliest you would have to see them. And just the fact that we're talking about the Knicks in that context, that plus the fact that they have two All-Stars with Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, shows the level to which they have ascended in the NBA landscape right now, and that's despite their current four-game losing streak. All right, let's open the phone lines up, 1-800-919-3776. Let's check in with Eddie in L.A. Eddie, what's up? Hey, what's going, man? How are you? Good. How you doing? Okay, quick. Uh, not quick, but the first thing I wanted to talk about was the injury report and, and what do you know. Um, of course, uh, um, I wanted to know about Randall. Um, Randall... Uh, OG, uh, the OG, the Vincenzo, uh, Hartenstein, Hartenstein being the one who should come back, who would be coming back the earliest. And, you know, what do you know um, of that? And then before, because I, I don't know how, how much time you're going to give me, I just wanted to um, uh, say a quick note to all of the um, New York fans um, who's listening right now, um, who are Jet fans. Um, it's time that we we get a New York football team because we don't have a New York football team. We're paying for the name and we don't have a football team. It's time that we start to really talk about and galvanize. The Jets need to move back to New They need to move out of there and, and move to New York. Everybody knows MetLife Stadium. That's Giant Stadium. has always been Giant Stadium. It started out in the Meadowlands. That's Giant Stadium. That's the Giant Stadium. That's cool. They, they, we need a, foot, a, a football team. And right now, we don't have a football team. They're actually the New Jersey Giants and the New Jersey Jets because that's where they play. That's where they play. Even if it's five miles away, it's still not New York. But go ahead, and, um, and, and I'm listening as you um, talk about the Knicks. Got it. Thanks. Thanks for the call, Eddie. Um, the Knicks injuries, there's different waves of this, right? So the, the first wave is DiVincenzo and Hartenstein and Bogdanovich. And I'm basing this on what Tom Thibodeau said pregame before their last game prior to the All-Star break when they took on the Magic. The comments from Tom Thibodeau uh, last Wednesday were that the hope is that DiVincenzo, Hartenstein, and Bogdanovich are ready to go as early as this Thursday when the season resumes. So that's a huge lift right there. You know, if it wasn't that last game attached to the All-Star break, maybe a DiVincenzo could have tried to go, maybe a Bogdanovich could have tried to go, but I think the thinking was from the Knicks, if you hold them out of the Orlando game, then that's a full 
eight to nine days of rest you could give these ailing guys and have them as right as possible for the stretch run of the final 27 games of the season. The next wave is Julius Randle and OG Ananobi, you know, piecing together the fragments of information you get from Tom Thibodeau, who's the only one who comments on these types of things. The hope is that within two weeks from right now, I would say, you would start to see a return for Randall and or Ananobi on the horizon. And then the wild card is Mitchell Robinson. And there's hope and there's optimism that he can return possibly during the month of March, the month of March, get him back into playing shape with the remaining games of the regular season and have him be a factor in the playoffs.